Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. Um, I, I hope to see you guys on Saturday at the, the Thanksgiving night of worship and testimony. Kathy Q is going to be sharing her testimony, and it's, it's going to be really, I think, encouraging. So, so I'd invite, invite you all to, to come to that. So we're in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 today. As we get into uh, chapter 5, I want you to realize that this is kind of a continuation of chapter 4, and we're going to be hearing some of the same themes that, that Joe kind of talked about last week. But what I'd like to try and do this week is take a little bit of a slightly different, um, I guess, approach at it. Uh, so a lot of times as pastors, you hear us up here saying, um, you know, we should be like this, or we should, we should do this, or, or those types of things. Um, we are called, uh, like for example, we are called to love others, right? Therefore, we should love, okay? So a lot of times we, we sit up here and say, we should do these things. At the end of each section today, what I want to do is I want to just give you a short bullet list of, of the how-tos, okay? So how to walk it out, how to, uh, how to do these things. Um, and I know that they're pretty simple, and maybe they're just reminders, but I think it's important that we don't always just look at the, we, what we should be doing, we should look at how to do some of these things as well. So the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, is almost like an instruction manual, all right, for some of the ways that, that we are called to live as Christians. Now, I realize I probably just lost all the guys in this room, um, but I really want you to, to understand that instructions are important, especially biblical instructions, okay? Um, well, I know, you're thinking, who needs instruction manuals, right? Um, but men, please don't check out, <laughs> all right? So in, in order to bring you back into this, I'm going to tell you a sports story. How about that? Okay, so here's a sports story for you. Uh, professional baseball has been played in America since 1875, right? But on September 14th, 1990, something happened that has never happened before or since, Late in his career, Ken Griffey Sr., who had been a key member of the World Series champion Cincinnati Reds years before, was signed by the Seattle Mariners, right? His son, Ken Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career on the same team. In the first inning of a game against the Angels, Griffey Sr. hit a home run to left center field. All right, his son followed him to the plate and hit a, a home run to almost the exact same spot. It was the only time a father and a son had hit back-to-back -back home runs in baseball history. Ken Griffey Jr. later said that his father greeted him at the plate by saying, that's how you do it, son. That's how you do it. There are few joys that can compare to seeing our children and our grandchildren succeed. Whether it's on a ball field, a musical recital, in an academic competition, or most importantly, in a spiritual setting, seeing a child demonstrate character and competence is a true pleasure. But this victory is not something that just happens. Every right performance, every victory over temptation, every accomplishment is the result of a concerted effort to prepare 
for the moment of challenge. It's from this viewpoint this morning, of this viewpoint of a father's heart for his children, that we look at the words of Ephesians today. God wants us to succeed spiritually in life and give us some instructions that will help us to walk it out and overcome the darkness in this world. So before we get into this week's passage, let's just back up for a second and think about what we've learned so far in Ephesians. All right, the first couple of chapters in Ephesians talks a lot about who we are in Christ. They basically establish our identity. We are loved and adopted children. We are sealed. We are alive with Christ. We are his workmanship. We are reconciled and brought near. It's important for us to understand who we are because, because your identity in Christ influences and drives your behavior and your actions. You see, our actions and sins don't define us. It's who we are in Christ that can determine who we are, our behaviors and our actions. Ephesians 3 talks about the importance of thinking about God and the, and the gospel as we seek to understand the mysteries of God. You probably remember Joe talking about those mysteries. We consider Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. We, we looked at this, this passage. It said that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we comprehend God's vast love for us and, and trust in him, we are filled with the fullness of God, and we begin to follow and live according to his will. Chapter 4 then kind of brings us to the title of today's message, Okay, which is walk it out. But chapter 4 gives us a call to walk in Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Chapters 4 and 5 begin to instruct us on how to walk it out. How do we live this new life that we have in Jesus? Joe gave us a picture last week of a person walking out into a river and being able to stand against the current, and not only just being able to stand, be, be able, being able to walk against that current. This is where we begin this morning with some practical suggestions on how to walk out our faith. So let's just take a look at the first two verses in chapter 5 so that we can begin to learn how we should walk. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So the first way that we walk it out is to walk in love. But before we get to love, let's first talk about verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. All of us have been children in our lives, right? Yes, of course we have. Think for a minute about the things that your parents may have taught you. Okay? For me, an example is, obviously, and maybe for many of you, is catching a ball. Okay, I remember my, uh, my family, my parents, my older brothers, and that sort of thing, teaching me to catch a ball. They would say, get those alligator hands out. You know, crunch down on it. Alligator hands. And then we began to, to mimic that. We began to imitate that. Okay, alligator hands. Boom, and catch that ball. Right? They demonstrated, and then we began to try the same thing. Now, I also want to acknowledge that because we live in a broken world, sometimes these things that we learn can be positive or negative. Let's, let's show some photos here. The first one, all right. So this is a child imitating their parents on the phone. Maybe not something that we want them to imitate or, or learn. But we, we realize as children, we imitate our parents. Next one. All right, hard work and that sort of thing. We imitate our parents, right? And again, I realize that some of you here this morning may have, may have grown up in a broken home with an earthly father that has fallen short and is not perfect. But this morning we want to look at Jesus, a perfect father who was perfect in every way. I want to encourage you that you do have a father that's worth getting to know and imitating. Verse 1 tells us to be imitators of God. So you may be asking yourself, how do I imitate someone who is perfect in every way, right? Again, understand that God's not calling us to be perfect. He is calling us to walk. And if we understand anything about learning to walk, it's that there's sometimes trips and bumps along the, way, uh, along the way, but we go stronger and more confident the more we practice it. So if we are to be imitators of God, we must know something about him, right? Now, thankfully, he has revealed himself to us through his word. God has certain attributes, ones that we call there are ones that we call incommunicable attributes. I don't know if you've any, any of you have heard that term before, but those are, are attributes that we can't exactly be like him. We can't be like him at all in these. For example, God is eternal, all right? Meaning that he was always existed and will always exist. We are unable to imitate that. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere at once. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things. These are obviously things that we cannot or never will be able to imitate. But God does have attributes, which are called communicable attributes, which mean that we are able to imitate and act in a manner that is similar to his character. Things such as faithfulness, goodness, Love, mercy, compassion, tenderness, and forgiveness. We'll never be perfect in these like God is, but we can imitate and exhibit these characteristics in our lives. 
Verse 2 talks about one of the most important attributes that we can imitate, and that is love. Verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We cannot truly understand love until we know God. God calls us his beloved children. You are dear to God. He was willing to go to the cross and he gave his son for you in order to forgive your sins so that you may have eternal life. He loves us with a sacrificial love. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we truly understand this and abide in God's love, we are often willing to participate in the suffering of Jesus by sacrificing our own desires and putting others first while we are imitating this love that he has shown for us. 1 John 4, 16 says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love, love abides in God, and God abides in him. So love is an important way to walk out our faith. So let me give you some practical ways on how to walk in love. First of all, understand who God is. Read his word and build your relationship with him and then imitate his character. Regularly pray, pray to God and pray for others. Simple way to love the people around us. And it's also important for us to live out your faith in community with others and use your gifts to encourage others. Again, three simple ways to walk it out. Walk out love in your life. So the second way that we can walk that this passage talks about, <clears throat> that we can walk out our faith, is to walk in caution, okay? So the last message, if you were here for my last message on, in Ephesians 2, I took a good bit of time <laughs> to talk about sin and the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. I'm not going to get into the details like I did that, uh, that week of sins listed in this next section that we're going to read, but we should all be well aware of the effects of sin and the gift of mercy that, and grace that God offers us through faith in Jesus. So with this in mind, let's look at, at verses 3 through 7. It says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes 
upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So Paul is warning us that there are consequences to sin. He's telling us to guard our integrity by not letting sins such as sexual immorality, impurity, or covetedness have any part in our lives. It's important to stay away from them. They're not to even be named among you. Now, verses 5 and uh, trick are, are a little tricky here. I want you to realize that verses 5 and 6 are a warning. Um, this is not saying that sexual immorality is any worse than any other sins, okay? But people that treat any sin as an idol in their lives and use empty words when it comes to believing who Jesus is will not inherit eternal life. Faith is about a relationship with Jesus and putting your trust in who Jesus is. It's not just acknowledging mentally that Jesus is God and then living the way that you want. Only by faith in Jesus through genuine repentance of sin does a person have an inheritance in God's kingdom. Apart from this free gift of forgiveness, through Jesus, a person is under the wrath of God because of their sin and does not have any inheritance in the kingdom and remain children of disobedience. As these verses warn us, there are people in this world that make light of sin and ignore its consequences. Author Peter Hubbard explains how some people think about sin. They say, my sin always seems reasonable to me, and your sin is inexcusable. I don't think we always recognize the seriousness of our sin. Verse 4 gives us an example that I'm sure many of us have experienced in this room, such as a simple example of inappropriate jokes at the office or school, even among people that call themselves Christians. I want us to realize that this can be a slippery slope that may lead to compromise and eventually build in our lives in a way that leads to destruction. Culture tries to minimize and justify sin. This is a terrible lie from Satan that started in the Garden of Eden when Satan said to Eve in Genesis 3, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? When we begin to question God's word, we are headed for dangerous waters. I hope you understand that through, uh, Ephesians 3 through 7 is a warning sign that the path of sin leads to destruction. God's word gives us the instructions to avoid the pit, pitfalls in life, and we are able to walk in caution. So we should be looking for signs. I have a couple examples of, of signs for you this morning. So that one says, caution, stay on the paved path, steep cliffs. There's a high risk of injury, right? Well, if you keep going on this path, the next sign, too late. <laughs> this is what happened to the guy who ignored the first two signs. And then there's another one. The fall isn't all you have to worry about. <laughs> okay. We must read the signs that Scripture tells us about our world and the current times that we live in. 
it's important that we try to recognize evil before we fall into it. Being cautious means that you're thinking ahead. You're looking ahead and the possible consequences of your actions. So here are some practical ways to walk in caution, okay? Stop. Stop. Take a moment to consider what Scripture has to say about anything you are doing. Look ahead to the possible consequences, both negative or positive, of your actions before stepping forward. Do not become partners or join in with those who are sinning. This does not mean that we should totally stay away from non-believers altogether, but it may mean that you should avoid exposing yourself to certain situations or tempting areas of your life. So those are some just, again, just a few practical ways of how we can walk out our faith in caution. So the third way to walk out our faith that this passage talks about is to walk in light. Okay? All right, so how many of you here this morning can wake up in the middle of the night, make your way to the kitchen, grab a glass of water, drink it, use the bathroom on the way home or on the way back to the bedroom and fall asleep without turning a single light on? <laughs> many of us can, can do that in our sleep, probably almost in our sleep. We can, we can get up and do things at night um, without without even turning a light on, okay? I want you to understand that sometimes we become so comfortable walking in darkness, we don't even think about doing it another way. But God wants something better for us. He wants to walk in the light of his word. Let's look at verses 8 through 14. It says this. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Notice some of the words in this. Okay? He does not say that we were in darkness, as if we were surrounded by a cloud of darkness or a shadow. He says, you were darkness. Sin was in us, and we were a part of that darkness. Then this verse goes on to say that you are light. The light just isn't around you again, but that you are light. The character of Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the character of Jesus, his holiness, the light is inside of you. He has covered you in his righteousness. And there is a transformation that has taken place. 
commenter, uh, a commentary, um, James Boyce says this. says, If it is only a question of seeking in the light or living in the light, then Christianity is no different than any other religion or philosophy. And there is no more hope from it than from any of them. But if becoming a Christian involves a change from darkness to light, then the presence of Christians in the world is itself hope, as together we stand against the darkness. This idea of light expresses God's character, his holiness, and his glory. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, a change takes place inside of us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to walk as children of light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins changes us. It strengthens us to adjust our character and live a life that glorifies him. He knows your sins and has forgiven you for them. And this should motivate you to turn the lights on in every room and closet of your life. Verse 10 tells us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And verse 11 tells us to expose them. This can only happen if we examine our lives against the truth of God's word. Hold it up to the light, and this will help us to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love the way this section ends with a call. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So if you happen to be falling asleep in the first part of my message and you just woke up to that, awake! Um, God may be talking to you, so you might want to listen here. I don't know. Uh, but sleep and death represent the natural state that we are in as sinners. If you think about someone who is sleeping, they are a lot of times unaware where they are currently despite any dangers that may be lurking around them. We need God to open our eyes and to wake us up. We have to rise from this condition or we will face the consequences. This call finishes with, and God will shine on you. He will be with you and give you the strength to make it through any trials that you face in life. I would encourage you to shine the light of Christ into the world by sharing your testimonies of how God has brought you through things and through any difficult circumstances. This Saturday, again, we're going to have an opportunity for you to do that, to share something that you are thankful to God for what he has brought, uh, brought you through. Matthew 5, 16 says this, In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay. So some practical ways 
of how to walk in light, okay? So first of all, love the light. It is good. Look at God's word and trust in him, even if it's difficult to walk it out. Search out the hidden things in your life and shine a light on any areas that you may still be walking in darkness. Confess your sins and be willing to ask for, the help, for help from others. And last one, rest in God's forgiveness and remember that you are free of your past. Your identity is in Jesus. Okay, so the last area that I want to talk to you about today is to walk in wisdom, okay? Verses 15 through 17 says this, look carefully then how you should walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The more that I learn, the more that I realize I don't know. The older I get, the more I realize that the days of this life are short. Time flies, back, uh, flies by. And if I don't learn and change now, the window of opportunity is closing. In this world that we live in, the days can be evil. And there is sin and temptation all around us. But we are called to make the best use of our time. Because as we talked about earlier, we can be light in this dark world and hopefully bring others to know this loving Father that we know. The youth have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes in, in our week, or our uh, Bible studies, bi-monthly Bible studies. We've been talking about a lot about living wisely and living foolishly. Under, or finding meaning in life can only be found in living under the sun, S-O-N, okay? And not under this world sun, S-U-N, which just leads to vanity or meaningless. Ecclesiastes, I would encourage you to read the book. There's a lot in there, again, about how to walk this life out wisely and foolishly. Books of the Bible, like Ecclesiastes, help us to consider how we are living our life in all circumstances, good and bad. And understanding what the will of the Lord is in our life can be difficult at times to figure out. But verse 15 encourages us to look carefully. Okay? Sometimes we want things to be easy without any hardships. But sometimes even in hardships, we can find and look for purpose in our life. Mike Wilderson, in his book called Redemption, says this. It says, to hold out our picture out to God and say, save me like this, doesn't nearly require as much faith as saying, I know you're good. 
save me like you want to. This is why it's important for us to seek God's, God and his wisdom. Many times God's ways are not our ways. It's important for us to ask God to open our eyes and help us to see and give us wisdom on what he's doing with our circumstances and how he's calling us to live. There was once some farmers in southern Alabama that were accustomed to planting a crop every year, and they planted cotton. They would plow as much ground as they could and uh, as they could and plant, the, or they would plow it as much and, and they would plant this crop of cotton for them. Year after year, they lived by cotton. Then one year, the dreaded boll weevil devastated the whole area. So the next year, the farmers mortgaged their homes and planted cotton again, hoping for a good harvest. But as the cotton began to grow, the insect came back and destroyed the crop, wiping out most, <clears throat> most of those farms. The few who survived those two years of the boll weevil decided to experiment in the third year. So they planted something they never planted before. It was peanuts. And peanuts proved so hardy, and the market proved so ravenous for that product, that the farmers who survived the first two years reaped profits that third year that enabled them to pay off all their debts. They planted peanuts from then on and prospered greatly. Then you know what those farmers did? They spent some of their new wealth to erect in the town square a monument to the bull weevil. <laughs> if it hadn't been for that bull weevil, they never would have discovered peanuts. They learned that even out of disaster, there can be great delight. As we walk out God's instructions, let us keep in mind that he's not just trying to give us a list of rules to keep us from sinning. He is a loving father. We are his beloved children. He's a father that's trying to instruct his children in order that they may have joy and fullness of life. So at this time, we're actually going to close, close the sermon already. <laughs> but if I could invite the worship team up. As we close, I want to leave you with some practical ways, again, to walk in wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Just ask him for it. And read his word regularly. We can ask questions of people who have walked through similar situations in life. And we can cultivate a heart of gratitude for everything. Today we've talked about some ways that God calls us 
to walk out our faith. And as you think about what is God's will for your life, I want to encourage you to just take a first step. Step out in faith. Let me remind you of, uh, of, uh, of the words in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I encourage you today, think about these ways that God instructs us to walk and walk out our faith in him.